Thanks for tuning in to the Follow Church weekly message. Our hope and prayer is that you will find this message uplifting and challenging as we seek to follow Jesus in our community for His glory. James chapter 1, and it will be on the screen as well. Let's get into it. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any one of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and do not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Believers, uh, believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will be like a wild flower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. It blossoms, falls, and the beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. Blessed is the one who perseveres un under trial because they have stood the test and that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. Do not be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of firstfruits of all he created. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, 
to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. This is the word of the Lord. Let's welcome our pastor. Well, good morning again, everyone. Today is the first for me. It's the first time I've ever preached at follow as a 40-year-old. I turned 40 yesterday and they say life begins at 40. I woke up this morning and I wondered why I feel so naughty. I think I felt naughty before I turned 40, so that's okay. But seriously, I vividly remember when my dad turned 40 and I remember thinking at that stage he was so old. I thought when the Bible talks about the ancient of days, I thought that's what it was talking about. But I can tell you now that I'm 40, it's actually not that old. Uh, half the room is nodding their heads and saying, yeah, you're really young. The other half is saying, man, you're in denial. 40 is like really, really old. 40 is not ancient. 50 is ancient. Right? 40, you feel naughty. 50, you need to get your prostate checked. That's the difference between 40 and 50. So 50, definitely ancient. But you're only as old as you feel, and I feel pretty good. So um, that's good. I hope you do as well, even if you're hot. And if you are hot today, it could be worse. You could be preaching. So suck it up. Um, today we're commencing a new five-week series through the book of James. We're not going to cover every verse in this series like we normally do because there's so much in it each week, but each week there'll be a theme. And so in your own quiet time and in your MCG groups, I want to encourage you to dig deeper into it and, and explore all the other verses that we don't cover in the five weeks that we're going through this series. Uh, when we start a new series, it's always good to talk about a bit of the background. And so that's a good place to start today. Um, the background of James is quite interesting. The letter of James was written to a scattered church uh, under, under pressure. They were suffering persecution and oppression. And I want you to try and immerse yourself in the context of what they were going through. Uh, as we look at letters, it's always good to try and imagine what the people who received it were actually going through when they received it. And so these people, God's people, were in a struggle. They were anxious. Uh, things were threatening to come apart at the seam. They were running for their lives. And so James sends this letter to God's people uh, in this situation to comfort them and give them some practical advice on how to stay strong. It was written to encourage and to strengthen the church. And no other letter in the New Testament has as many references to Jesus' teaching per page as James does. And so I think it's a reminder from James to these people and to us to keep our eyes on Jesus in all of our circumstances. And so as I read through the letter of James, I think it's a great pastoral letter. But it would be fair to say that not everyone throughout church history believes the same. Martin Luther um, called it the epistle of straw. And I think mainly because he felt that James downplayed the importance of grace and highlighted the importance of works. Now, for someone as brilliant as Luther, I'm always staggered that he came to that conclusion. Because as we go through this series, I think you'll see that James actually has a beautiful balance between faith and works. And I think it's a really important balance for us to keep in our lives as well. And so unlike Luther, I love the letter of James. And there's two reasons or two things in particular I love about it. The first one is this, that James is one of the best apologetic letters in all of Scripture. Now, not particularly because of what's written in it, but because of who it was written by. James himself was the half-brother of Jesus. And he was one of the brothers in John chapter 7, verse 5, who didn't actually believe Jesus was who he said he was at first. Now, maybe that's not surprising. If you've got a brother or a sibling, and if one of your brothers that you grew up with all of a sudden started making claims of divinity and started saying that they were going to die for the sins of the world, that they were going to be crucified, that they'd be buried, that they'd rise from the dead, 
and that one day they'd return. I reckon if one of my brothers started saying that, I'd have a little bit of difficulty kind of believing that as well. And so you can understand why James was struggling with this. In fact, in Mark chapter 3, verse 21, we see what we can only really describe as a family intervention. Uh, the family rock up to where Jesus is teaching and ministering to the people, and it says that they went to take charge of him. They wanted to grab hold of Jesus, and they started telling people he is out of his mind. This is like a family intervention. And so I think our families would probably respond the same way. If one of our siblings started claiming to be the son of God and making claims that were so absurd about themselves. In fact, I think there's only one way that we'd ever actually believe them. And that is if what they claimed to say, what they claimed to be, was actually fulfilled. In other words, they would have to literally and physically rise from the dead and we'd have to see it with our own eyes to actually believe what they were saying. Well, this is exactly what happened for James. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 7, after the resurrection, it says, Jesus appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And I think that was likely to be the moment of James' conversion. You know, James maybe thought his brother was crazy, his brother was crucified and buried, and he's just still thinking, well, Jesus was crazy, maybe a little bit embarrassed, but then Jesus appears in front of him. And I can imagine him going, hang on, I thought Jesus was crazy, Maybe you're not. You're standing in front of me. You've actually risen from the dead. And so I think this is likely to be his conversion moment. And here as a result, we have this letter written by the half-brother of Jesus who initially wanted him committed. He was a doubter and a skeptic. He thought Jesus was crazy. But by the time he puts pen to paper on this letter, he was so convinced that Jesus is who he said he was that he starts the letter in verse 1 by stating that he is James a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's talking about his brother. That's staggering, isn't it? The brother he thought was crazy, he's now saying that he worships his brother, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Not only does he now believe his brother is the Son of God, but he is so convinced that he is that he gives his life in devotion and worship to him. And through the book of Acts, we see this same man rise in leadership to be the main leader of the church in Jerusalem, eventually being killed for his faith in AD 62. And I think that's a pretty convincing evidence that James was absolutely convinced that Jesus was who he said he was, and he actually did rise from the dead, the Son of God. And so the letter is a great apologetic of the faith for those reasons. The second thing I love about James is it's just so immensely practical. I love it about the book of James. It's like, man, it's, you read it, and it could have been written yesterday. It's so practical for us, and the advice is so relevant that we could apply it this week in our lives. It covers a broad range of topics and themes relating to life and faith, and they are the very things that we continue to wrestle with to this very day. And I think we'll continue to wrestle with them till the day that Jesus actually returns. And so it's an immensely practical letter. And so the title of the series, as you can probably see on the screen, is Five Chapters That Could Change Your Life. Five Chapters That Could Change Your Life. And so we're continuing to focus on our theme of change over the next five weeks, and that's important because, as we've learned, change is discipleship. And so the theme for week one, today's message, is the theme of trials. Trials. Last week in the story of Saul, we saw the importance of changing the way we see things. And perhaps this year, 
one of the things that needs to change for us is the way that we see trials and difficulties in life, and particularly how we respond to them. For some of you, this topic is absolutely current. You're going through a trial in life. Maybe you're one of the families in our church that's been affected by fires. I know of quite a few of them. I know that the Feckertys and Christine Cohen and Christine and Teresa, Christian and Teresa Ratton and Aaron and Aaron Bell have all evacuated their homes in the last few days. And so there's people right now in the midst of our community who are going through trials because of the fires that are raging in our local community. But maybe it's not the fires for you. Maybe you're in the midst of a difficulty in life, perhaps a tragedy in your family, a crisis in your faith, or an issue with finances, friends, or family. You're in a season of trials, and so this right now is a relevant topic for you. But for others, life may be going really well for you right now. And the temptation is today on a hot day to kind of tune out and think, no, nah, life's going pretty good for me. But I want to encourage you to kind of tune back in today because the thing about trials is that we never know when the next trial in our lives will come. And so you might be thinking that your life is a little bit like what you can see on the screen. That top part of the screen is kind of your plan and you see the next year or five years or ten years being pretty easy going, pretty smooth sailing. But the truth is, it's often true that life ends up looking a little bit more like the bottom half of the screen where there's a lot more realities and trials that were unforeseen that actually come into your life at any particular moment. We've been praying every day over the last couple of weeks for the Nash and Fichetti families because of a crisis in the health of Dan and Danny's dad. Less than two weeks ago, their families were going along probably a little bit like the top of the screen there. Things were pretty good in life. But as a result of one phone call, everything changed, and their dad has now had several major operations and is fighting for his life every day. And so we need to continue to uphold them in prayer because they're going through a difficult trial in life. And so one phone call was the start of an unexpected and difficult trial for their family. Just last week, my wife Kim got results from her latest heart scan. She'd been feeling a little bit tired and weary lately, and so she was concerned about it. For those of you that don't know, Kim had open heart surgery for the second time about three years ago. It was about nine months after we started Follow, and it was on exactly the same day that our son was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. So it's not the kind of day that we'd forget in a hurry. It was certainly a trial in our life. But as a result of Kim's last surgery in 2016, we were told it was unlikely she'd need surgery again for kind of 10 to 15 years. But unfortunately, the test last week showed that she now has a severe leak in her pulmonary valve again. Her heart is once again starting to enlarge, and she'll need to have heart surgery in the next 12 to 24 months. And so one test result has brought forward a difficult trial for Kim and our family. And I use those illustrations because it shows that, you know, we never really know when a trial will arrive in our life. We could get a phone call today. We could get a test result this week. We could lose a job this year. We could have a family illness. We could have an unexpected accident on the way home today. And we never know when these things will happen. They could happen at any time. And so we don't know when we'll face our next trial, but what we can know for sure is this, that everyone in this room, everybody in this room, will face various trials at one time or another in life. And so this is actually a relevant topic for everyone, regardless of what you're going through right now. The letter is addressed to the 12 tribes of Israel, and it's written to the church in Jerusalem, sorry, not to the church in Jerusalem, but rather to all the Christians who'd been scattered outside of Jerusalem because of persecution. And so James starts this letter to these people under pressure 
by addressing the issue of trials. And in verse 2, he says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Now notice he doesn't say, if you face trials. He says, whenever you face trials. To be alive is to have trials in life. It's not if, it's when. Now, last year I said there were three things that were certain in life. Death, taxes, and St Kilda never winning another premiership. Today I want to add a fourth thing. Death, taxes, pathetic St Kilda, and trials. And for me, those two last ones are in, you know, intrinsically linked together. But trials are a certainty in life. It's not if we have trials, it's when we have trials. And so the question that I think we need to answer that maybe James is addressing today is how do we respond to the trials in life? More specifically, how should we as Christians respond in those times? I want you to think back over your own life this morning. I want you to think back particularly to the times where you had significant trials in life. And I want you to consider how you've responded to those in the past. Maybe you've responded in faith and trust. And if so, well done, you're probably more holy than the rest of us honest people. But maybe you haven't always responded like that. I wonder, in your trials, did you doubt God? I wonder, did you grumble or complain? Did you give up? Did you run away or avoid it? Did you turn to some sort of addiction or pleasure to numb the pain? Did you gossip, criticize, or blame others? Did you pray? I wonder, for some of us, if the change for growth that needs to happen in 2019 is to change our default response in times of trial. James has some very practical advice for us on how we should respond to the difficult trials in life. And the first advice he gives us is that we need to be people who learn how to persevere. Now, perseverance is a really critical area in any area of our lives. It's critical in our marriage, in our careers. We want to keep progressing in our career to persevere. It's critical in raising kids, in growing a business, in your friendships, in your education. Uh, persevering is really important when you're trying to discover solutions to very difficult problems. And it's certainly something that's absolutely critical when it comes to our faith. Perseverance is something that should, as we mature, become more obvious and consistent in our lives. You'll probably notice if you've got children that kids aren't great at persevering at first, are they? Have you ever tried to teach a kid to ride a bike? Very rarely do they ride it, fall off and go, oh, that's all right, I'll have another go. What do they usually do if they fall off a bike? I can't do it. I'm never going to be able to ride a bike. And they throw it on the ground and they storm home and they give up really quickly, right? So as parents, our job is to help our children to learn to persevere in life because it's a very, very important life skill to have. Now, in theory, as we become adults, we mature and we learn to persevere. And that's really good in theory, but it's not always true in practice. Sometimes as adults, we're actually no different. If things get tough in the trials of life, it's sometimes easier to give up than it is to persevere. And I think one of the reasons for that is that we automatically see trials and suffering as an enemy to be avoided rather than an opportunity to be embraced. Let me say that again. We so often see trials as an enemy to be avoided rather than an opportunity to be embraced. Now, in many ways, they are enemies. Trials can be painful and difficult and hard to understand, but perhaps we need to reconsider trials and see them differently this year, not just as an enemy, but also as an opportunity. Trials are a reality of 
life in a fallen, broken world, but they're also an essential part of developing in discipleship towards the place of spiritual maturity. And so what's the key to actually growing in perseverance? Well, there's good news and the bad news. The good news is there is a key. The bad news is that it's actually trials themselves. The only way you're going to learn to persevere is when you go through trials in life. You see, when life is a breeze, we often don't learn to persevere. But when a trial comes into life, we actually need to wrestle with that. We need to wrestle with the way we respond. We need to wrestle with our thoughts and emotions and some of the big questions of life more deeply. And what I've found in my own life personally is that I've actually learned more about myself and about God in the midst of trials than I ever have in the times of comfort. Let me say that again. I've learned more about myself and about God in the times of trial than I ever have in the times of comfort. Now, I look back on those trials in life, and there's been some significant ones along the way, and I can probably be honest with you today and say I didn't really enjoy them at the time. And at times, I didn't really understand them, and there were times when I grumbled about them. But I look back at them now with a grateful heart, not because I enjoyed the experience, but because I can see now what they've produced in my life. That God has used those trials to shape things in my life in a more significant way, and one of those things is perseverance. I think trials are a great teacher. And so James writes this letter, and I think this is why he starts by saying, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kind. Now, once again, try and imagine that you're the people receiving this letter. And the first line you get is, hey, consider it pure joy that you're going through trials of many kind. I can imagine people being a little bit ticked off about that. I can imagine them thinking, come on, James, you can be more helpful than that. What's really going on here? It's not helpful at all. I can imagine people picking up their phone, even though they didn't have phones back then, but picking up their phone and saying, hey, James, I, I got your letter, but I reckon there might have been a typo in the first paragraph. Did you mean to say pain instead of joy? Did you mean to say inconvenience? Consider it pure pain? Consider it pure inconvenience when you go through trials of many kinds? And I can imagine James responding to that, saying, no, I meant what I said. Well, what do you mean, James? Well, because you know. You know that the testing of your faith, it produces something. What does it produce? It produces perseverance. Okay, so tell us more about that. Well, let perseverance finish its work. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature, not lacking anything. You see, if we let perseverance finish its work, we become mature and we won't lack things in our lives that we'd lack if we didn't persevere. Paul says a similar thing in Romans chapter 5. He says, rejoice in your sufferings because sufferings produce, guess what? Perseverance. But perseverance produces character. Character produces hope and hope does not disappoint. You see, we usually don't rejoice in the trials and we certainly don't see them as pure joy. But when we truly understand what God is doing in our lives, even in those times, we'll stop running from trials like we're fleeing from an enemy. We'll turn around and we'll start embracing them as great opportunities for growth in our life. One of the gifts of a trial is the fruit of perseverance. And perseverance is an essential part of spiritual maturity. A couple of weeks ago, I talked about Simon Sinek's golden circle. And you think, why are we going back to that again? Well, the story of that was that he was talking about vision and purpose in life. And he's talking about the fact that most people, well, everyone knows what they do. Only some people know how they do it. 
but very few people know why they do it. Now, I was thinking about that this week, and I think when it comes to our trials, that circle still works, but often we use it in reverse. And I think it's more healthy when we do. You see, when most people go through a trial, they nearly always ask, why? Why? God, why aren't you answering my prayer as I want you to? Why are you allowing me to go through this challenge? Why aren't you removing this pain in my life? I think some people consider how. Lord, how did I get here in the first place? But I think very few people ask the question, what? And I think the question, what, is actually the key question. It's the question we most rarely ask in suffering, but it's the key question. Lord, what are you teaching me in this season? Lord, what are you helping me to learn? Lord, what are you developing in my character? Lord, what could I do differently? God, what are you shaping and refining in my life in the midst of this trial that will make me more like Christ? Jesus, what are you changing in me for growth? I think we can always, some of us can get so consumed with the why of trials that we miss the what of trials. But growth is found in the humility of the what. And so don't give up and miss the fruit of maturity through a lack of perseverance. Brian Houston, on his Twitter account this week, posted the following quote. He says, prove yourself a long-term battler. And I think that word battler is really just acknowledging that life is full of ups and downs. And so he said, prove yourself a long-time battler, a long-term battler, not a short-term quitter. Longevity withstands stress and pressure, disappointment and offence, in having done all, still to stand, Ephesians chapter 6. And I think that's a really challenging thought. You know, I've met so many people over the years who have given up on their faith altogether because things have got tough. Sometimes it's the big things. Sometimes it's the little things. So many reasons why we can quit and give up. But in the trials, James teaches us that we need to persevere. And sometimes people give up because sometimes someone's hurt their feelings or... You know, God didn't answer their prayer or they lost a loved one or the trial was difficult or someone disagreed with them or the worship songs were too loud or too soft or there was not enough, there was too many hymns or God forbid there was not enough hymns or, or whatever it is. And sometimes these things the devil can use to take us out and we end up giving up on our faith. So many reasons why we quit and give up, but Jesus, James teaches us we need to persevere. And I think he's talking about some sort of inner grit where we rely on the Holy Spirit. We work in the power of the Holy Spirit. We put on the full armor of God. We're determined in prayer. We'll stand up in the battle and fight. We'll put on the full armor of God. We'll stand on the word of God. And I think it's so important that we do those things in the trials because they're the very things that help us lead towards maturity. So important that we do that. Let perseverance finish its work. In other words, don't give up halfway. Let it finish its work so that we may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. The truth is that you are the person you are today because of the way you've handled trials in the past. If you've persevered through trials, if you've trusted in God through trials, then you have matured, and that's a wonderful thing. But if you're a person who's avoided them, run away from issues, quit when it got tough, given up on your faith, then you haven't matured. But this year is an opportunity to change for growth. As you let perseverance finish its work, you will continue to become the person that God is shaping you to be through the trials of life. You see, we often see trials as 
the enemy, but I think Scripture, the Bible, presents an alternative to embrace them, to persevere through them, to learn from them, to grow through them, and to use them for his glory. Embrace the trial, not just as an enemy, but also as an opportunity. Verse 12 says, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. Because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. And so the first point that James makes is that we need to be people who learn to persevere. The second point is this, that we need to be people who use wisdom. We need to be people who use wisdom. Verse 5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all, without finding fault, and it will be given to you. That's a wonderful promise. Some people have heard the first point about perseverance, and you think, well, that's all good and well, but I don't know how to persevere in the trial. I'm not sure I understand what's really going on. I don't know what to do next. I'm not hearing from God. I don't know what I'm going to do to cope. And we get in a bit of a tailspin, and sometimes I think God's standing in the side of the room, kind of scratching his head, saying, if only they would ask. If only they would ask. What does he say in this passage? If anybody lacks wisdom, you should ask God. How will he respond? Well, it tells us here, he will give generously to how many people? To all, without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Verse 6, but when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. And so what's the key to godly wisdom? Well, the key to godly wisdom is to ask and believe. Asking God with an expectation that he will do what he's promised to do. Who here thinks God's faithful? It's disturbing how many people didn't put their hand up. Who here thinks God's faithful? Well, let's do an altar call now. Lord, pray for those people who don't think God's faithful. We're here today because we think God's faithful, right? And so if God promises he's going to do something, and then he says, all I want you to do is ask for it, then what's God going to do? He's got no choice. He's faithful. So if we ask for wisdom, he's not going to go, nah, you didn't ask nice enough. He's going to say, yes, you ask for wisdom. Here it is. In the midst of your trial, I'll give you wisdom to keep persevering, to stand strong on my word through the trial that you're going through. Now, my girls are teenagers now. So they've learned everything they need to know, learn about life. <laughs> but Lenny, is, he hasn't arrived yet because he's only six, so he's got another seven years of learning. And so when Lenny comes to me and he asks for help with something, I don't say, buzz off, kid, you're on your own. Figure it out. Why? Because I love him. And it's the same with our daughters when they ask. I want to see them grow. I want to help them mature. And so I'll do everything I can to help them. I, I, I think I'm a good dad. How much greater is our Heavenly Father? And so when we come to him, we are his children. We are dearly loved by him. And if we don't know what to do, he says, simply ask him for wisdom and it will be given to us. You know, James, the author of this letter, was known as Camel Knees. Camel Knees. Apparently he had pretty ugly knees, probably a little bit like mine, from working as a chippy, unless you think camels are pretty, and then he had really pretty knees. But the reason he was believed to have such callous knees is that he spent so much time on his knees in prayer. The historian Eusebius wrote in 325 AD about James, and he said that James was in the habit of entering alone into the temple and was frequently found upon his knees, so that his knees became hard 
like those of a camel in consequence of his constantly bending them in his worship of God. James was a very pastoral leader with a heart for the people that he's writing to. He wanted to equip them to persevere in this trial they were going through. But as a leader, he would have known there's only so much that he can do. But he also knew from his own experience the power of asking God in prayer. And so what can we do in times of trial? Well, we can ask for wisdom. And so James says, first of all, persevere. Second of all, use wisdom. But finally, he says, the third thing to do in trials is to resist or overcome temptation. When tempted, once again it says not if, it says when. When tempted. No one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by what? Their own evil desires and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when fully grown, gives birth to death. Temptation is a reality of our lives. And so if we're going to persist through trials, we need to learn to be people who can overcome temptation. Now, I think it's no accident that temptation is right here in the midst of a passage on trial. Because you will find in the trials of your life that all sorts of temptations will come in the difficult times. We've talked about some of them already. Giving up, running away, getting angry, blaming God, resenting God. I think James articulates some other ones in verses 19 to 26. When we're going through trials, we're often quick to speak, quick to anger, to fall into sinful habits. We stop reading and obeying God's word. We don't keep a tight rein on our tongues. I think we can all relate to one or more of these temptations in times of trial. And so when sin entices us, if we don't resist the devil, it will conceive, and these are the places that we often go. And so when trials come, temptation often joins it as a package deal. And so what's the key to overcoming temptation? Well, the key is to resist. James 4 verse 7, later in the passage, says, Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Later in the passage, God says, don't deceive yourselves. Every good and perfect gift comes from God. And so we can submit ourselves to a good and gracious God, even in the trials of life. And we can resist the devil and he will flee from us. If you've got a pen today and you're a note taker, I want you to write this one down. Because I think this is really important to understand. The devil will try in the trials. The devil will try in the trials. He'll try and take you out in the trials, because he knows that's when we're most vulnerable. You know, when Lenny was two years old, he had a couple of bouts of acute tonsillitis. And both times, we took him early to the doctors to get some antibiotics. And both times, they said, well, just keep an eye on him and, you know, wait a couple of days until he's almost dead and then come back. But they didn't say his exact words, but that was the gist of it. And so we waited a couple of days until he was almost dead and the tonsillitis had settled in and we took him back to the doctor and both times they said, oh gee, that tonsillitis is bad. Um, I think we should prescribe some antibiotics. And we thought, well, that's what we thought two days ago. Maybe we could have avoided all this if you had have done it back then. Now shortly after Lenny was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes, which at this stage is an incurable disease, that short of a miracle or a cure he will have for the rest of his life. And that is heartbreaking for me as a dad and for us as parents, and it's changed our lives as a family, but it's taught us new things about perseverance. But research shows that type 1 diabetes can actually be triggered by common childhood viruses, sometimes years earlier, 
And the diabetes educators believe Lenny's diabetes was likely triggered by those earlier bouts of tonsillitis. When our immune system is down, our body is more susceptible to attack. And I think it's the same spiritually. When our spiritual immune system is weakened, often through trials, it's often in those times where the enemy senses an opportunity. In Scripture, the devil is compared to a roaring lion. Now, if you watch a lion hunt a pack of prey, the eyes will always scan the pack, looking to separate the, the young, the weak, the injured from the rest of the pack because they know if they can get that prey on its own, they can go in for an easy kill. And I think the devil senses when we are vulnerable and weak, even in our faith. The devil doesn't play fair, and he knows that there are times of trial, and they're often the times of vulnerability. Thank you very much, Jim. Very observant. Angela, well done for giving your wife the credit. That's great. And so we resist the devil by standing strong in the faith and remaining connected in community, knowing that we're never alone. In 1 Peter 5, verse 8, it says, Be alert and of sober mind. In other words, recognize the schemes of the enemy, particularly in the trials. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Now, here's this word again. Verse 9, resist him. Resist him. Standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers right around the world are undergoing the same kind of suffering. I think the story of Job in the Old Testament is a really fascinating story. It's helpful and heartbreaking at the same time. And in the story, Satan sees the righteousness of this man called Job, and he makes the mistake of avoiding that Job only loves God because of the blessings in his life. Now, I think life was going pretty well for Job. I think it's probably a little bit like the top of the diagram there. Life was pretty good. He was wealthy. He was you know, strong in his faith, he had a great family, he had all sorts of stuff going really well in life, and probably if he thought of what life was going to be like, he probably thought it would remain like the top. But Job had no idea, just around the corner, were significant trials that would change his life in significant ways. And so God allows Satan to strike at every area of Job's life, and I've got to say it's hard reading as you read through it. In one foul swoop, his property is raided and his livestock is stolen, Every one of his servants are killed except for one who escapes to tell him the story. Next of all, his kids are all having a meal at the oldest brother's house and they're sitting down at the dinner table about to eat roast lamb and veggies, I imagine. And a big wind comes and the roof falls in and every one of his kids are killed all at once. This is unimaginable tragedy. It would be very, very hard to persevere through and yet Job still persevered. And so Satan, not giving up, you know, inflicted upon him painful sores from the bottom of his feet all the way to the top of his head so that he would sit in the dirt, probably pondering everything he'd lost and the tragedy of his life, and, and he would scratch the sores with, with rocks he would find on the ground that, that itched and were sore. And it's a miserable sight. And in the midst of his discouragement and heartbreak, his supportive wife comes to him and says, how do you keep this up? How do you keep trusting God? How do you keep persevering? Man, you are crazy. Curse God and die. Thank you, love. What's for dinner? You know, not very encouraging, but she'd given up and she encourages Job to do the same. These are the temptations that he was facing. Shortly after, his friends come into the story. And I say friends in inverted commas. And they start to criticize him and diagnose the problem and point out why all these things have happened. And it's a miserable mess. But the thing I love about Job is in the midst of it, 
He continues to persevere and trust God. He has his moments, but he keeps standing and trusting God. And we know the end of the story, God is so faithful in his life. And so if we think life is tough and we want to give up, then remember Job as a great example of the faith for us. In that story, the devil threw everything he could at Job, absolutely everything, and Job resisted temptation. He asked God for wisdom, and he persevered through to a new understanding of God and a whole new level of maturity in his faith. And I think this is the same opportunity that awaits each of us in the trials of life in 2019. And so I wonder how have you responded to trials in the past? But the more important question is, how will you respond to trials in the future? I pray this year that with God's help, each of us will persevere through the trial. I encourage each of you to ask God for wisdom on a regular basis. And I believe as we resist the devil through the power of God's word, through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the power of community, he will flee from us and we will mature in our faith. This is all part of change for growth. Thanks for listening to our message this week. If it's stirred your heart and you would like to talk to someone more about it or pray with someone, please get in touch with us at info at follow.church and one of our pastoral team will get back to you as soon as possible. If you'd like more information about Follow and our various ministries, including weekly service times and location, please check out our website, www.follow.church. Thanks again for joining us. God bless.